This is Under the Dome. On today's episode, we'll take a look at what's happening in North Carolina politics for the week of Monday, August 16th. For the News and Observer, I'm Don Vaughn here with Colin Campbell to bring you the week ahead in North Carolina politics for Monday, August 16th. We're going to talk about the budget, about uh, maybe the House rioting bill in the Senate, emergency powers possibly, the confirmation of the DQ secretary, and the usual surprises. And then we'll also talk about Colin's future, uh, which will change after this week. But we'll save that for the end. So let's get rolling with my favorite topic and all y'all's, the state budget. We are in step 1075 of the summer. Um, Actually, we're in like step three. So the Senate passed its budget in June. The House passed its budget just this past Thursday. So the next step is the the phrase that everybody loves, we'll work it out in conference, a band name idea, but it's actually that compromise budget time where the chambers come up with a budget that they want to send Governor Cooper and are talking to Governor Cooper before they send that budget to him. So what's going on this week aren't public meetings about the budget or just private meetings. It's the behind closed doors, quiet negotiations between the chambers as they decide uh, what they're going to put in that final budget. But don't forget the thrilling, thrilling Senate vote Monday night first on concurrence, which, spoiler oh, yes. alert, they're going to vote not to concur with the House version because oh, yes. they never will because they don't like the House's version. Yeah, I mean, it, can you? that would be... I mean, I'm going to listen to it because I'm the budget person that does that and has to, but can you imagine if the Senate's like... Yeah, let's go with this house budget. Yeah, we really like your smaller tax cuts and your bigger <laughs> teacher raises. Let's let's just pass that into law and if there's move anything on. the Senate loves, it's huge raises. That's that's sarcasm, of course, and, and you all, all our listeners know that. So somewhere in between of the Senate's uh, lower raises and the House's higher raises and the Senate's bigger tax cuts and the House's tax cuts but not as fast, you know, the old Goldilocks, Three Bears, Porridge uh, sorting out will be going on. So we're talking, we're talking about like just the beginning of that process. So that that's a significant thing going on this week, but um, we don't know what they're saying. We won't find out yet. Yeah. Unless you bug any rooms in this building or have some secret recording devices that you want to send our way, in which case we'd be glad to hear it. Tips accepted. I'm on signal. So one thing we know for sure that is happening um, in the public sphere this week is the confirmation of the DQ secretary. Uh, Colin, why why are we doing this now? And this isn't the first one. Is yeah, it? this this is sort of a I wouldn't say it's a repeat because it's a different different person, but uh, this is the second time that we've had a series of confirmation hearings for Roy Cooper's pick for a new DEQ secretary, uh, replacing uh, the uh, former DEQ secretary uh, who is now part of uh, Joe Biden's presidential administration. Uh, the first round did not go so well for Cooper's pick. Uh, Dion Delegati was the first person he wanted in that role earlier this year. Um, and her confirmation hearing went down in flames because Republicans asked her a lot of questions about natural gas and specifically 
the agency's decision not to approve um, some permits for a natural gas pipeline that was running from, I think, Danville, Virginia, down to Alamance County area, uh, something Republicans, I think, were not terribly thrilled to see uh, get rejected. So they sort of had a lot of questions for Delegati about that um, and ultimately didn't like her answers and voted down her confirmation. So uh, Cooper was not happy about that. Um, but he, it still worked out pretty well for her. Yeah, right? no, yeah. Cooper made her like the top climate advisor or some some sort of job title that put her in charge of climate change related things um and so she's still part of the cooper administration but then now he's gone back and um made another uh, appointment choice uh elizabeth beiser so we'll see if she has better luck i suspect she's going to get some of these same questions about natural gas uh whether the republicans like her answers any better we shall see um i will note that her background is uh, a lot of years of lobbying here in the legislative building uh, for various clients, uh, but lobbyists, you know, their their job is to build good relationships with lawmakers, um, and presumably, she was good at her job and she she built those relationships. So that may help her uh, have a better reception here than than Delhi Gotti had a few months back. Well, we'll see how that goes, and and who the people are that question at Blue Center. Newton was one that um, had some excessive questions for the. Um, the last nominee, and we'll we'll see how this um, how this turns out. So that that's on the calendar this week. Um, also, as you know, as you all know, it's you know day to day what's added and what's you know previously in rules before that. But we could see the the House bill. This is kind of Speaker Moore sort of yeah. Pet he's sponsoring bill. it. Yeah. yeah, he was in committee in, in the Senate committee last week on rioting on rioting. So to, to stiffen the penalties for participating in some sort of uh, riot type event. Obviously, uh, legislation that stemmed from the uh, George Floyd protest in, in downtown Raleigh that Tim not, Moore... Not, right. Not the January 6th U.S. Capitol yeah, insurrection. But, but yeah, this is what Moore personally witnessed from his PNC uh, building condo downtown where there was tear gas and, and broken windows and uh, vandalized buildings and that sort of thing. So he's wanting to uh, stiffen the penalties against that. He had some interesting back and forth with some of the Democrats who weren't sure they wanted to go that direction um, during committee last week. So it should be an interesting floor debate on that. Um, and if that passes, you know, they could see that on the governor's desk in the next few days. And anybody's guess, you know, whether he'd sign or veto that. Something that showed up this past week in Senate Judiciary two days and then was removed was discussion of the House Emergency Powers Bill. That was also something that initially House Leaders Majority Bell told me during their announcement um, early in the in the House budget process that was not in the budget. It turns out some of it was in the budget, but it was a subcommittee uh, chair that that put it in. And side so, note, do you think anyone knows everything that's in the budget? Nobody knows. Because the number of times I've budget. asked a question, you know, who put this in the budget? What's it right. about? And everyone I talked to is like, yeah, I don't know. Didn't know that was in there. So maybe that's something that'll be in conference, uh, the conference budget. Maybe it won't be, but it is another bill that's still sitting out there. And, uh, you know, Bill said today he didn't like some of what, um, you know, the Senate wants to do with it. So maybe we'll see that in a committee in Senate Judiciary again. Maybe we won't. Maybe it'll just be kicked down the road again. And I mean, that that's a topic. This is all about the governor's powers and executive orders and states of emergency and COVID response. And it's all related and it's different versions of the same fight that's been going on for, I believe, a year and a half. So we'll see where that um, perennial issue comes out this week. And then um, I don't know if there's, are there any other things that there's still, I remember talking to Speaker Moore a little bit ago, maybe a couple of weeks ago, asking about what else are you trying to do 
aside from the budget and redistricting, and it mentioned the rioting bill. But I don't know if there's a whole lot of other priorities between the chambers. You know, it's going to be interesting in the next couple of weeks while we're waiting on the budget to see what moves as a separate bill. Because uh, I just finished writing a story where I went through the House budget and was finding all the things that are policy provisions from bills that have already passed, particularly the House, that the House budget has. So to what extent of all these sort of lingering things that maybe have passed one chamber but not the other um, and are still a priority for this session, how much of that will get chunked into the final budget? Um, and then we'll be you know looking for that Easter egg for, for weeks because I found probably 10 or 12 different the things that I remember being a House bill from months ago that's not really a money thing that just got shoved into the budget as a way to sort of unstick it from not going all the way through the Senate and getting to the governor's desk. So to what extent they'll try to get those bills the normal way to the governor's desk and how much we're just at the point in the session where it's just too convenient just to stick it in the final budget and get it done that way. So it's really that part of the budget battle that is between the chambers. And I feel like this is kind of a fun a fun thing to watch since they're the same party control. And this was when I covered Durham government. Durham is like, you know, 99.9% blue. Um, that's not an exact number. It's a little bit less than that. But um, but watching a bunch of um, a bunch of progressives on Durham City Council argue about their varying degrees. So once you have somebody who agree in general the same on policy, and then to watch them fight out within it, and that's what's going on with the Republicans and the House and Senate, it I don't know. I feel like it, just watching the, the discussion, the what's important, it's very in the weeds, but it also is at a level uh, that you don't see when it's just the very obvious like party divisions on things. So this is going to be an interesting time, I think, of seeing how they sort all this. Oh, out. yeah. And, and you've heard allusions on, on the floor, particularly in the House, to the sort of horse trading that's gone on, that mm-hmm. there a lot of the times when you see sort of action stop for a while and bills get taken off the calendar, a lot of that is based on this sort of uh, backroom back and forth between the House and Senate leadership of you pass these three bills that I want and I'll pass these three bills that you want. It's not necessarily even necessarily a f- philosophical opposition to what the other chamber wants, but it's just a question of every single bill is sort of a poker chip and if they want it, you want something in exchange to, to get it passed. Um, and so that's a lot of what goes on this time of session and why you see bills pop on the calendar and pop off because everyone's worried about whether the other chamber is going to stick to whatever the agreement was. And, you know, also, as we were kind of talking about, this is nearing the end of things and there are more redistricting um, committee meetings going on. And really, once the budget and these other priorities are done and they'll adjourn for a little bit, come back for redistricting and then theoretically, theoretically, because like we don't have like other states where you have to be finished at this time. We're pretty much winding down the long session. Yeah, and, you know, the, the redistricting stuff has picked up in the last week, and there'll be some, I think, further action with that in the, the coming week. Um, and the census data is out uh, as of uh, this past Thursday. So they may be able to, as depending on how long the budget drags out, just go straight into redistricting or even do that while they're awaiting some kind of, of budget agreement. So we might not have a separate redistricting session just because the session so far has dragged on so far into the summer. We'll find out. Um, so lastly, what I wanted to share information that you should know about North Carolina politics is that Colin Campbell, who's been with the News and Observer since 2009 and served in a variety of roles, will have his last day on Friday. So 
Colin, I will turn it over to you to talk about whatever you want as you leave and, and tell people that you're not going very far, not very far at all. Yeah, but. you know, people are like, I'll, I'll miss you around the legislative building. It's like, you're you're still going to be seeing me quite a lot, just maybe <laughs> not every day and probably not at three in the morning when they have a really crazy late session. So I'm going to be joining Business North Carolina magazine uh, as an editor and writer, but I'll, I'll be a lot of what I'll be covering is sort of the intersection of business and politics, which is a lot of what the insider does when we're uh, putting out our newsletter that goes out to lots lobbyists and, and business leaders around the state, but uh, hopefully be able to dig in a little more in-depth to things and, and not be um, writing as much uh, of the day-to-day -day sitting in every committee meeting sort of stuff that the, the insider covers. So I'm excited about the change, but it's it'd be weird to leave here. This has been where I've been pretty much my entire post-college journalism career, and I've gotten to work with a ton of great people, including our current politics team and current insider folks, but lots of people who have come and gone in, in the years that I've, I've been here. Um, and I think this, this will mark the departure of the last original Under the Dome, previously known as Domecast uh, podcast cast member, because uh, when we launched this podcast back in 2015, I want to say, um, completely different crew of, uh, of political reporters, of which I'm the last one remaining. And as of Friday, um, I will be moved on as well. Well, I will miss you on the team here and in the amount of time you spend in the, in the, in the press corps, in the press room. But um, like you said, you'll, you'll still be around just in a different way. And um, maybe your former teammates will, will be the target of your snarky tweets now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, we are already. Just yeah. Kidding. No, the, the snarky <laughs> tweets that I don't send are about everybody. So, you know. <laughs> try to keep some of those to myself so I don't make any any enemies um, and hopefully keep keep chat with you all about all the crazy stuff that happens in this building because there's only so many of us that are so like engrossed in the day-to-day -day of North Carolina politics um, it's a it's a sort of a weird fandom that we're all in but uh you know yeah. it, it's worth it to have friends and coworkers who uh, also follow this craziness day-to-day -day. well if you see Colin around the building this week or in the future um, you can you know tell him I assume that you've appreciated his work, as, as I have too. So um, we'll um, wish you a fond farewell and see you in like five seconds anyway. On, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> so, um, all right. So for the News and Observer, I'm Don Vaughn with Colin Campbell. I'll talk to you next time. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider, and sign up for her weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome, at newsobserver.com newsletters. Thanks for listening.